sets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Williams had a record book. Ricky Williams runs to the Hall of Fame. Touchback. Ricky Williams touchdown. Young from the shotgun. Back to throw. Vince looks under pressure. He'll tuck it in run. Vince to the five. Young. Touchdown, Texas. Touchdown, Vince Young. He's done it again. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Hello and welcome into another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson and I will be your host. And today I am joined by my co-host and good friend, John Garcia. He is the recruiting expert over at Sports Illustrated. John, did you survive signing day? We survived. There was a strong hibernation thereafter. Well, we came up on the other side, and and really, this is one of the more memorable signing days I could ever remember, uh, whether from a micro perspective or, or certainly from a macro perspective with all of the craziness of the coaching carousel and, and all of the uncertainty. And these kids signed anyway. So uh, pretty amazing to see and witness in real time. And and Texas made out really well, but, but so did we. So did we. We survived. And like I said, it's going to be hard to forget this one. Yeah, and, you know, it wasn't just because of the Travis Hunter stuff. It wasn't just because of the A&M surge. There was a lot going on all over the place. Um, you know, Texas, and this is obviously a Longhorns podcast, so we're going to focus on that. Texas had a great push over the last couple of weeks of the, of the early signing period. Closed very, very strong on the early signing day. Uh, missed out on a couple guys they desperately wanted. Uh, Evan Stewart being one of those guys, Denver Harris being one of those guys. But for the most part, they got their guys. Um, you know, it, there, there's a couple guys still left on the board, guys like Harold Perkins and Amaria Bohr and and uh, Devin Campbell, obviously. So a lot going on for the Longhorns. Tell me, before we get into breaking down this thing position by position, tell me what you thought about the way that, that they closed and, you know, your, your overall thoughts of the class. I thought Texas was a big winner on National Signing Day. Um, I, I think, obviously, if you look at the ceiling, there's not one class out there that got all their guys, right? So you mentioned a few key misses, and I think every school has those, um, whether you're Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, even AM had some key misses out there uh, over the last week, week and a half. Uh, but Texas closed really well. I thought the volume picked up in a hurry. And Texas, I would say, of, of all the schools benefiting from instability elsewhere, I thought Texas took advantage in, in such a strong way. Um, I mean, Kelvin Banks, obviously, a former uh, you know, Oregon verbal commitment uh, and, and the top lineman for us in the state of Texas, backing off of, of that once Mario Cristobal made his move, same thing for, uh, for Cam Williams. So there was there was some big uh, beneficiary moments for Texas there. And then I thought, you know, the traditional flip of Terrence Brooks was about as strong as any one singular get on signing day in the country. You know, for us, that's the number one nickel NFL bloodlines, NFL ceiling, a kid who can play everywhere. He's ready to go today uh, for Texas. So I, I thought that was was, again, just as strong of an individual win as anyone could have hoped for. And then on the flip side of it, Texas held off some schools uh, trying to make flips uh, of their own prospects. You know, AM was lurking for a few. I know Malik Murphy was questionable, at least for a brief moment there. You wondered if, if UCLA, USC, someone else would kind of double down and try to keep him in the state of, of California, especially as he finished his high school season so strong with uh, a state championship, uh, which was really important for his development. So I thought Texas closed well individually and tangibly, but also on the other side of it where, you know, teams trying to poach their recruits did not have a whole lot of success on signing day or even really, you know, leaving up to signing day. I think, you know, outside of the Kobe McKenzie situation, which was kind of a, you know, he was locked in elsewhere, coaching changes happened. And they like the new staff uh, at Oklahoma, so he ends up back there. That that's not one that feels like like a sting. It's not a true a true flip in the sense of we had this guy on board for X amount of time, and then boom, 
someone else came in and, and took them from from underneath our watch. So that one was big, but it, it didn't have that same stinging, like lingering hurt feel that that maybe some other schools experienced on signing day. Of course, as you mentioned, none bigger than Florida State with uh, with Travis Hunter. Yeah, that that one was wild. I, I, I <laughs> we're not going to go into that on this podcast. That would take a whole another hour to <laughs> to, to discuss that one. But you know. On, based on what you're talking about, I mean, Terrence Brooks outside of Travis Hunter might be the biggest flip on signing day. You know, he he was Ohio State for a really, really long time, and Texas made a great close on him in a position of great need. Um, we'll talk about him more in a minute, but let's just go kind of position by position here, uh, position group by position group, I should say, and kind of break down what the Horns got on Wednesday. Um. And we'll start at the most important position on the field at quarterback. You know, you mentioned Malik Murphy, uh, but he wasn't the only quarterback that signed with Texas on <laughs> signing day. Uh, Quinn really? Ewers made it. <laughs> Quinn Ewers made it official, transferring from Ohio State. I thought that was a very clever way for them to sign off to to start off their signing. Uh, their you know influx of signings, announcing him first. Um, you know, he is going to be thought of as the savior of Texas football going forward. There's no way around it. They, they've never, uh, at least not, not since Vince Young, I don't know how far back or how, what his rating was back in the day when he signed, but I don't think they've signed a higher rated quarterback than, than Quinn Ewers in the modern recruiting era. Um, he is elite at every single, you know, physical trait that, that you can think of. Um, he, is really what this program has been lacking the most of over the last two decades. Uh, you know, since really since uh, Colt, I guess really since Colt McCoy left, that's yeah. when they've been, that's what they've been searching for, you know? So um, let's, let's start with Quinn. You know, what does this mean for Texas and, and does he come in and win the job immediately? I mean, I think the answer there is yes, but I still have to ask the question. Right. He's still got to go do it. Right. I mean, I think we in college football, we get, Excited and jump the gun sometimes, but usually it's for a good reason. And, and Quinn's got physically as good a reason as, as anyone to bank on. Uh, and, and if you're talking about just the arm, just that singular limb of power, <laughs> you could argue that Quinn Ewers has the most powerful arm that Texas has brought in ever, you know, since, since television went from black and white to color. Uh, this, is, this is a generational quarterback talent. And I think the thing that people are not spending enough time looking at is that he got a free like internship at one of the better quarterback development programs in the country at Ohio State. He basically got time in that quarterback room every single day learning behind a Heisman candidate in a system that puts the quarterback in onus just like Steve Sarkeesian's does. Um, that, that Ohio State system is based on quarterback involvement and and there's a lot of power and movement that the quarterback has within his responsibilities. So for all the physical stuff we talk about, and it's all there, 6'3, 210, big, physical, confident, trusts that big arm, a lot of necessary traits, but in between the ears, um, the the comparison between a semester in, in a college football playoff contending quarterback room versus at South Lake Carroll, where he should have been as a, you know, a, an original class of 2022 member is really in, not even in the same ballpark. And that's no disrespect to South Lake Carroll. They probably have as good of, of, of a system as anyone in the country. But Ryan Day and that type of offense, that type of atmosphere of Quinn is working against that first team defense full of, of some Sunday guys. There's just really no substitute for something like that. Um, and to me, even more of an X factor is this is the first time Quinn Ewers had had faced any kind of situation where it's like, Hey, you're not the guy, at least not right now. So you wonder internally and from a motivational perspective, what that could even mean and how much more oomph it puts on his move from Ohio state back down to Texas. There's familiarity there. This was the long-term expectation for him. And now a bunch more quarterback knowledge of, of forced maturity, not only to deal with the cash that he got, but to deal with being the third or fourth guy on a very good program um, and throw in a little sprinkle of motivation on top of it. And I think it's, it's the perfect storm 
This is literally, it's not even close. This is by volumes, much better of a scenario for Texas than if viewers would have just stayed committed from way back when, stayed at South Lake Carroll and enrolled. And traditionalists will hate me and maybe turn this pot off and that's fine. But this path that viewers took has forced maturity. It has forced a decision and business-like approach to his entire life because of, of that decommitment and the skipping of senior of his senior season uh, of high school. So now you get him in that same class. And by the way, if Quinn Ewers is verbally committed to, to Texas traditionally, do you get Malik Murphy the same way you did? I, I don't know if that's a yes. I, I'm not sure. In fact, I would say it's much less likely that you bring in Malik Murphy. It was a lot easier to sell Malik on being the guy individually. And then at the end, like, oh, well, Quinn Ewers is going to come too. And then you deal with the, I guess, perceived doubt, because from a physical perspective, Malik Murphy is right there. Um, at least the perceived doubt is only a week-long decision, right? As opposed to a six-month or an eight-month or a 10-month decision where everybody knows you're the second guy. And again, USC, UCLA, Oregon. I mean, the whole Pac-12 tries to keep that kid in, in, in that territory. So the quarterback room at Texas, I think, hit another level in the best method possible. It created a lot of stress in Austin. But at the end, it was the best result that I think anybody could have hoped for. And again, you get Quinn Ewers on a different level than literally every other quarterback in 2022. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talked to Malik uh, before signing day. It was, it was at the end of November. And, you know, I, I, I straight up asked him if, and this was before all the Quinn, Quinn Ewers stuff happened too, because there was talk about Texas bringing in more arms in this class or via the transfer portal. And I straight up asked him, is this, would that affect your commitment or your, you know, decision to, to attend Texas at all? And he just said, no, he, he's not afraid of the competition. He, he's not afraid to, uh, to learn and, and to, uh, to do any of those things. He wants to come in and compete. And, you know, there's still that belief there that even with Quinn coming in and probably being the favorite to start on day one, Malik's going to get his time eventually. Um, Cause you know, let's, let's face it. Quinn is going to come in and, and probably be a couple years and then, and then pop to the NFL. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, Malik, he, he was, he was already kind of raw and he needs, he needs some fine tuning. So he's going to come in and be able to sit there and learn under Sark and by the time he has an opportunity to take over the starting job, he's going to be ready and he's going to be able to shine. So I think, I think that says a lot about Malik that he's not afraid of that competition either. Um, so let, let's keep on going down. the. Actually, hold on. Before we do that, there's also something brief I want to touch on with you. Um, on three did a, did a, a, uh, an interview with Arch Manning recently asked him about Quinn Ewers signing with Texas. And if that affects his commitment at all, and he also said no. He said that it doesn't affect him one bit. He's a big fan of Quinn. They're friends. Um, and, you know, you can't be afraid to compete with other people. Do you buy that? <laughs> do you think that it doesn't affect his commitment at all? Or do you think that <laughs> he kind of is, is starting to look a little bit elsewhere? Here's the thing with Arch. I mean, he's never trimmed his list of schools. That same article suggested that Jeff Levy in Oklahoma could now get involved. They have always been on this, let's let all the craziness settle plan. And that craziness is still to be settled, right? The transfer portal, the quarterback dominoes are still moving, and they will be moving until April or May. So I think in the full evaluation, yeah, Arch, Arch means what he says today in December. Because those things are going to fall into place. If Quinn Ewers is blowing it out of the water in the offseason workouts, the Mannings will know about it. And then it will be public at the spring game at some point. And then you'll go into the preseason with the hype train rolling, however it's going to roll, right? That doesn't always mean it's going to go a certain way. Just ask, you know, Oklahoma and Spencer Rattler, which at least, you know, so I'll get some of the fans I lost earlier back on, on this pod. But... <laughs> There's going to be a thorough evaluation no matter what. And 
I think the timing could kind of work out here. As you mentioned, I mean, Quinn Ewers' plan is an NFL plan, right? It is a three and out plan. And the gift that the quarterback world was, was gifted was you were skipping an entire year. So now it's two years to the NFL, right? You have to be three years removed from high school, three seasons removed from high school. So in theory, after the 2023 season, Ewers can test the waters if, if they're warm enough. So if that's the case, and you do get Arch Manning, it's sitting for a year and, and going from there, which I don't think they would be opposed to. I think most associate elite quarterbacks with the need to play today and day one, and that is true for most of them. And obviously it was true for Quinn Ewers to a degree. But all of the other Mannings sat, at least for a little bit. And again, their plan, if you think the Ewers plan is an NFL plan, imagine what the Mannings plan is, right? Right. That is a long-term plan. I don't think, I don't get the sense that Arch feels like he's got to be the guy day one. And that is a tall order, even for some of the most talented quarterbacks we've, we've seen in the last decade, right? I mean, how many of those guys started as a true fresh out of high school freshman? I'm talking redshirt freshman, like a Tebow, or Jameis Winston, or even a C.J. Stroud this past year. How many of those guys started immediately? It wasn't Tua. Bryce Young had to wait a year. I mean, there's not a lot of guys that just jump right into it. What, Sam Howell comes to mind? I mean, there's not a whole lot of them. Even Lawrence, maybe? Trevor Lawrence, yeah, but he he had to wait at least half a season, right? That's true. And then – and then Kelly Bryant was like, okay, I got I to hit, hit the portal before it, it, it was cool to hit the portal. Um, so even, yeah, I mean, you talk about generational. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are two of the five best quarterbacks I've ever scouted. Fields had to play freaking special teams and mess it up to go to Ohio State. And, and Trevor Lawrence had to, had to wait, you know, off and on and off for, for half a season. So I don't think the first year is the end-all, be-all for an Arch Manning. And furthermore, Comparing Manning to Ewers from a decision-making standpoint, I cannot envision a scenario where Arch Manning goes to college and hits the portal less than a year later like Ewers did. And the circumstances are totally different, but because of how this kid is built and the long-term play that has been established, I would be just floored if something like that happened beyond traditional circumstance like a coaching change or a philosophical change or the rules changing or something like that. So I don't think this affects Arch as much as conventional wisdom says, oh, well, you picked Quinn Ewers and now you don't get Arch. I don't think it's that simple unless Ewers is slow to develop. That could be the only wrinkle into that because if he needs some time, there's an injury and and he's got to stay in town a little bit longer, a year plus longer than he intends to, then I can see that affecting things because now you're talking about a kid sitting two years or more. And I think that's when any player at any position – would start to consider other options. But uh, Arch and his people are not that far along. The Texas and Georgia hype from six months ago that still gets clicks for some websites is not sustainable. That has all changed. There's been too much coaching carousel madness um, and and quarterbacks moving around, and that's still ongoing, of course, for that to, to remain exactly how it was you know, uh, before the season started. Right, yeah, and uh, you know we'll we'll see what happens with Arch. He he said that, you know he's um, he's still way off of a decision, and you know there's still Alabama and Clemson and Georgia's still there, even though they don't manage their quarterbacks very well, and and Ole Miss is you know still always going to be a threat because of the family connections. So that that's that's going to be one of the more that that is the most interesting thing to watch in the 2023 cycle. Um, it doesn't get any more exciting than that. But let's move on down the list for Texas. Um, let's go. Let's go to running back next, Jaden Blue. He was their lone signing of the class so far. There's another uh, kid from Florida whose name escapes me at the present moment because I'm not looking. Terrence at it. Gibbs. Terrence Gibbs. Yes, he he he's heavily considering Texas, but with the departure of Stan Drayton to Temple, that might change everything for him. So we'll see what happens there. But Jaden Blue, um, he is for lack of a better term, an elite, elite running back. Uh, he comes into a great running back room already with Bijan Robinson. He's going to be able to, you know, sit there and learn behind him, probably get some early playing time. 
but he took this past year off. Uh, he, he opted out. That was a, he was one of the first big guys to do that. Uh, obviously Evan Stewart did it later in the season, but Jaden blue was the first big one to do that, that I can recall. Tell us a little bit about Jaden blue. Give us a little bit of a comparison for him and how you think he could sort of fit into the Longhorns future plans. I'm a big fan of, of Jaden blue from that junior tape evaluation. He, he stuck in the 99, despite not playing as a senior, which will not be the case for, for others who played and maybe, you know, took a step back or what have you, but the benefit of the doubt is easy to give to Jaden blue, big kid, six foot, two ten or so probably a little bit bigger at this point. You wonder how physically he is, he is doing having sat out the season, but look, all these kids have, local trainer seven on seven I mean they're in they're in diverse college level weight training in, in some cases especially in the state of Texas Houston's got a buku number of you know quote-unquote gurus to get these kids right so I think he could be from a physical perspective better than what we saw as a junior and what reminds me of that is was Trevion Henderson uh, different circumstances but easily for me the best back in the country last year coming out of high school and we saw that with the junior tape initially but then COVID canceled the whole season for the state of Virginia and he talked to us about getting bigger and faster at the same time because now he didn't have that wear and tear of Friday nights to hold him back and we saw what Trevion did as a true freshman at Ohio State I'm not saying Jaden Blue is that same type of running back but he's built similarly Again, six foot, 210 or so. And there's a nice combination there of power, running behind his pads and contact balance, and the quickness to make moves in space, make a defender miss and hit him with enough top speed, not elite top speed, but enough top speed to create big plays. Um, and I think as a potential complement to B. John Robinson, this is perfect. Jaden, a little bit more downhill a little bit more run savvy. I mean, Bijan's one of the best pass catching backs we've seen in a long time. So Jaden's going to be a nice counter to that. And he'll be obviously quite fresh. So I'm curious to see where his game progresses because by the time we see him in Austin, it would have been two football seasons since we've seen him in action. So some of the areas for improvement, like that long speed we talked about, uh, like setting up blockers, which is really hard for a lot of young backs to figure out. It's like offensive linemen with pass protection. It's hard to do at 16 and 17 years old. You have to do it with reps and experience. So curious to see how he sets up blocks as a collegiate running back. But uh, he is a one-cut type guy in my mind, and, and I think he's going to be bigger, more physical as a complement to Bijan early. And then obviously after that, it could be his show. He could be the lead back uh, in year two without a whole lot of hesitation. And I think the ability to potentially spell a Bijan Robinson, who was probably a little overworked in 2021, Just I think that bit. alone, that alone provides so much value to what Steve Sarkeesian wants to do uh, at UT. He's great at getting his playmakers the football. But it's just harder to do that when everybody knows five is getting the rock, you know. So if you could start to, to complement him with others, the emergence of Xavier Worthy will create that in the passing game as well. I think this Texas offense, which was explosive most of the season, I know it, perception doesn't tell us that because of the record, but the, the, the chances for bigger plays from this team should increase with some of the talent coming in, and I think Jaden Blue will play a part. And you mentioned Xavier Worthy, which brings me brings us to our next position group, and that's wide receiver. This is this is one where Texas did not fare incredibly well. Obviously, Evan Stewart went to AM, Armani Winfield decommitted pretty late and then ended up at Baylor, even though there was some Texas smoke there at the end. Uh, they signed Brennan Thompson and Savion Red. Um, you know, neither guy is is very um, let's say nationally relevant brennan thompson's a, a very good explosive player savion red has his his uh you know good traits as well but they didn't get that elite top level explosive number one guy like they wanted um tell us i don't know if you, how much you know about either of these guys or not but tell us a little bit about what they got in these two guys well with thompson you're getting pure explosion right you you've mentioned it a second ago 
could be the Devin Duvernay of, of this version of Texas. And that's okay. I think I was talking to, uh, to some Alabama folks about the change of the wide receiver position and how it used to always be this AJ Green or AJ Brown, or I guess both of them kind of build a Julio Jones kind of build on the outside. And then you complement that guy with slot types who can just be nightmares in space. Well, now teams can't get enough of these smaller, quicker, more explosive guys. And I think you got a, a combination of the two with Brendan Thompson, who's got the flat out speed and with Savian Red, who's more of like a power slot, you know, that's kind of a lost art, that physical, more compact slot receiver. The epitome was kind of like an Anquan Bolden where he's not going to blow the top off of the defense, but man, he's going to work you underneath, catch everything, block well, because he's a bigger, more physical, almost like a running back type of build. And Red is like 215 right now at under six feet tall. So I think that creates a different dynamic compared to what we've seen for the most part at Texas. Remember, you've got your big play, number one, all world guy. It's about filling out those other pieces. And yes, obviously an Evan Stewart would have been the perfect compliment, but you do get two guys who would be ranked as slots. If we ranked beyond 10, 15 a year, Brennan Thompson and red would both factor in there somewhere. So I think that's where the portal and some of these other spots could open up um, in terms of adding to this roster ahead of 2022. Uh, I do like the differences between these two slots, which is something that is, is needed. Again, you've, you've got to work through that position in a modern time where you can just get the ball to one of these guys and let them make plays. Um, let them be extensions of the run game. We just talked about taking pressure off of five. This helps you do that a little bit more because both of these guys can make plays with the ball in their hands and they do it differently as well. So I think one of them, depending on, on how the rest of the roster shakes out, one of them is going to get a chance to sniff some playing time in, in, in 2022. Right. And, you know, the receiver position was kind of a weak point for Texas this year outside of Worthy. You know, Whittington was hurt all year uh, after the Oklahoma game, never really got back into the groove. Um, you know, they, they lost a couple of guys. They lost a, a big one to the transfer portal. So it's it's one of those things where they, they needed to kind of beef up that position. And, and you, you want to see them add at least one body through the transfer portal. Uh, hopefully Troy O'Meary gets health, healthy as well because he hasn't really seen the field yet outside of spring football. So um, that was a pretty big weakness for Texas. But the biggest weak point for Texas by far, I think, in, in both of our opinions, was along the offensive line. Um, I don't yep. want to speak for you, but it's it, it's it seemed pretty clear to even the casual football fan that the Texas offensive line was on the struggle bus. And, you know, a couple of weeks before early the early signing day, they had two guys committed. They had Cole Hudson and Connor Robertson, uh, both interior guys, which is which is important. And Sark was asked about it. You know, where, where where is this offensive line recruiting going? You don't have a lot of guys committed. Are you confident that you're going to be able to get this thing fixed? And he said straight up, well, we could have five guys right now, but we want the guys we want. And it turns out they got a bunch of those guys <laughs> by the time the early signing period was over. And there's another pretty big one that's still left until February that they feel pretty good about. But let's go down the offensive line. Uh Offensive line guys real quick, starting with obviously the big one, Kelvin Banks. Just uh, we, we talked about Jaden Blue being ready right now uh, at the running back position. I feel better about Kelvin Banks being ready right now at that position, even if it's left tackle, which I don't think it will be initially. But if it has to be, I think this kid's got the, the physical makeup to do so. He is a polished run and pass blocker. He is lean at 6'5", 295, 300 pounds or so. I mean, this is just, again, it's not a great tackle class, but there was only two candidates for the number one spot. And we still are figuring that out, by the way. It was Kelvin Banks and Elijah Pritchett because they had the build, Pritchett signed with Bama, they have the build to pass block, the athleticism to pass block right now, but they've got the physicality to run block yesterday. And that is was was not a well distributed group of traits for this offensive line class, particularly again with the offensive tackle 
position. I think there are some safer interior guys, and then we'll talk about a few of them since, since Texas went crazy on the offensive line. But Banks is the headliner. He is, after Quinn Ewers, he is, and Brooks is close, and we'll talk about him in a minute. He is a safe bet. He is an early impact safe bet, and that is very hard to project at the power five level, but I would be surprised if Banks doesn't factor into this rotation nearly immediately. I won't say game one because you, you can't project the mental in a tra- transition from high school to college, but everything else uh, says Banks is ready to go. Uh, and he may end up as the number one tackle before all is said and done. We're going to see both in, in some all-star action, you know, COVID, COVID notwithstanding there, depending on, on how the schedule shake up. But Banks, if you can't tell, is a guy we're very, very high on. And this was the, the banner get in all of Oregon's class before Crystal Ball made his move. This was one of the biggest out-of-state gets for any program in the country with Banks committed so early, and everybody tried to flip him. Even before the, the chatter about Cristobal potentially leaving to Miami picked up, AM was probably the first school he visited that wasn't Oregon after making that verbal commitment. Texas was in there. LSU was in there. Bama tried to get in there. Everyone tried to get in on, on, on Kelvin Banks because he's a special and maybe the most special lineman in this class. So you talk about hitting a position of need, and those are the things we value in ranking classes at SI. If we think your O-line is not great and you sign six O-linemen and a couple of them feel like they're guys who can contribute early, we're going to value you a little bit higher than the next guy. And that's why for a while we were talking about Texas maybe at number three in the rankings because they hit so many needs, quarterback, offensive line, secondary right off the bat. And there's a couple of D-linemen in this group that I think we've got a little higher than the rest that are going to make an impact sooner. So you talk about the trenches and changing a culture, that was task one for Steve Sarkeesian. And, and I think there was, you know, some limbo there perceptionally, but this O-line group, this trench group that is being brought in, led by Banks, has the chance to change that. And, and I think we could talk about every one of these guys if you want, but it's really Banks that is, is the conversation holder for Texas. And I think he's going to be a rock star in Austin. Yeah, and you know, you you talked. We'll, we'll talk about a couple of them. We won't talk about all six of them. I don't want to. I don't want to make you do that. But you talked about Banks being the lean guy, the more athletic guy, the 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 more polished guy. The other guy that came in through the class uh, from Oregon, Cameron Williams. He's not as lean. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it that way. He's a uh, he's six five three sixty on a good day when he probably hasn't eaten his breakfast. Um. You know, he, he, he's a big mauler type guy and he's quite literally, I think, at least from, from my, you know, not as expert opinion as yours, the sort of opposite of banks in the sense that he's more of a, a mauler. Um, tell us a little bit about him and, and where he could factor in because he's an interesting case. He could play on the outside. He, he could move inside if they need him to. Um, where, where, what do you think about him? I think you're right on it, Matt. He is the mauler of the group. I think there's some other guys who are going to end up inside. I think Cole, Cole Hudson probably plays inside before all is said and done, and, and the kid out of Austin Westlake as well. But Cameron Williams is ready to do so a little bit sooner than those guys, especially if you're talking about building that run-first mentality that every coach still wants to do. And I think, you know, we, we get lost in a lot of the glitz and glam of these passing games, but every, every school, except for like Mississippi state and Western Kentucky, they want to run the ball, at least in principle. Um, so Cameron Williams helps you do that immediately, you know, six, five, six, six. I don't know what Texas listed him as on signing day, but three fifty plus question mark. I mean, this is a big physical kid is what we're trying to say. I saw – sorry to interrupt. I saw what – I think it might have been a Longhorn Network. I saw them listed at 325, and I just started laughing. Like, there's absolutely no way. Like, he, he's a legit 350. <laughs> yeah, I think 350 is, is, is a good number there. And it's not – but you know what, though? It's not sloppy. It's not incredibly sloppy. It's something you expect to be trimmed down, of course. But 
he doesn't got to get to 325 or 315. I think he can play at 335, 340. And, you know, you're talking about 20 pounds or so at that level. That's really not a lot to ask when you are in the, you know, nine to five, well, nine to five is conservative. When you're in the true full-time job like nature of playing major college football, especially when that is an obvious uh, target area from a physical standpoint. Um, and he plays at Duncanville, uh, which just played in the state title game over the weekend. So now he can start focusing on on uh, his long-term cool down and, and figuring out exactly where his body needs to be by the time he does get to um, the University of Texas, because this is a physical specimen at the point of attack, easy movement skills. This was the kind of guy, again, going back to that Oregon class that had a lot of high floor talk around him because the whole goal is similar. Crystal Ball's goal in Oregon was similar to Sark's goal in Austin initially, right? Build from the trenches out, almost an SEC mentality in another part of the country. And Cameron Williams was one of those guys that you know that staff was really excited about. And, and another one that they tried to get uh, to, to jump on board at Miami at the, at the end. So I think that was a big get as well. Again, coming from a great program, which means he's faced great competition already. I think there's there's really no substitute for that, um, especially on the offensive line, because the the one position where things are getting freakier at a faster rate is along the defensive line to me. So the guys who come from smaller towns have a bigger arc to overcome to to get through at the collegiate level compared to the guys in the trenches in the greater Dallas area and Houston area and Atlanta and Miami, where they see some of these freaky talents every single Friday night. It's just something that you have to go through. So I think that helps the Cameron Williams projection as well, but no doubt classic road grader lead guard type stuff uh, from him. And I'm excited to see how he physically develops and, and works on his pass set along the way. And, and, and the other two guys, we, we can just touch on these guys briefly because I don't want to spend an hour talking offensive line. But the other two big gets that they had on on signing day were Neto. You, I'm going to butcher this. I'm sorry, everyone. You, Umeo Zulu, Neto Umeo Zulu, um, out of Allen, another huge program, like you mentioned, one of the best in the country. Malik Ogbo out of Todd Beamer and Federal Way, Washington. Just briefly touch on those guys and, and tell us what we can expect out of them. I, I, I know that Yumeo Zulu is probably an interior guy, but Ogbo could go either way. Um, what, what are your thoughts on them real quick? Would love to get true measurables on on Umeo Zulu. Uh, he's under 300 pounds. He's a lighter guy, which is a good thing. You know, if we talked about how easy it is to shed 20 pounds at a school like Texas, if you're Cam Williams, well, it's going to be even easier for him to gain 15 pounds or 10 pounds in order to play in the trenches. Uh, but yeah, depending on that wingspan and that height, he might be an interior guy, but he could be the move interior lineman. We talked about Cameron Williams, strong side guard. He's the guy you run dive behind, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of finesse to that, but with Umeo Zulu, now you can play some zone. You can get to the second level, chip and go, get out on screens, tunnel screens. Some of the things we've seen Sark like to do it creates a different play calling flexibility when you have a truly lighter athletic lineman to, to base a lot of that movement on. So I do think he's probably an interior guy, um, but that's not a knock. If you can, if you have athletes on the inside, you have a really high ceiling in terms of what you can do as a play caller and how productive you can be. Um, so, so I'm a big fan of his. And I think Agbo is, is a little bit of a, Kelvin Banks kind of mold, very similar size, probably a little bit heavier, but a little more raw. I think Banks' polish is what stands out when you watch him. I think with Agbo, which was a huge battle, by the way, that was a hotly contested battle. As you mentioned, a kid from Washington who's, who was a true national recruit because there was nothing local about his recruitment. It was like Miami was in there. I think he took a late trip to Auburn, maybe the last trip. This was a totally wide open recruitment, really from the beginning. So that was a nice big victory for Texas on signing day. It just wasn't talked about enough because there were so many other ones, right? And, 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 and Terrence Brooks leads that conversation. And like you said, Quinn Ewer signed that day too. So I think that got a couple more headlines. But Malik Agbo was a true 
battle between teams that really needed to bolster their offensive line. I think Texas and Auburn may have the two biggest needs among contenders on the offensive line. So that was a huge win for Texas, especially with Auburn getting a trip later in the cycle. But I think he's, he's just got a little bit more room to improve from a technical perspective compared to a Kelvin Banks. But the size is like exactly where you want it. Big, long kid, carries the weight well as well. And, and another big get for Kyle Flood, who deserves a lot of praise for this group because uh, it's probably the biggest O-line class from a volume perspective. But if you just took the top three and you started comparing them to Alabama's top three and Georgia's top three and Arkansas's top three, Ohio State's top three, Michigan, et cetera, this group holds up from a quality standpoint as well. And Ogbo is kind of the glue guy in, in that conversation. So I, was, I thought that was a huge get for Texas, although, again, it didn't get as much coverage as maybe it deserved. Yeah, and, you know, there's also another guy left on the board. Uh, he might be the best offensive lineman in the country when it's all said and done, Devin Campbell. Um, they're going to have to wait till February. Texas did end up in his top two that he released on signing day. Uh, I think they feel pretty good about that one there. And if he joins this class, then, you know, you're, you're talking about some, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the best offensive line class that Texas has ever signed and one of the better ones we've seen in a long time nationally as well. But uh, let, let's go ahead and move to the, the, the place that I know you're most excited to talk about here, and that's the defensive line. Uh, Texas, I mean, to say they cleaned up along the defensive line is putting it mildly. They, they brought in, I believe it's eight guys, um, you know, half on the interior, half on the edge, you know, like you said, trying to build that SEC mentality. Let's start on the edge. Um, a couple of SI 99 guys, guys along the, off, uh, the defensive line there as well, I should mention. They got a big flip on signing day. Let's just kind of go down the the edge here and, and, and tell me what you like about what they did. I see a lot of combo guys, man. I see a lot of guys who could be pure pass rushers. I mean, Jamon Tapp is, is probably the best one of the group that is just kind of a classic screaming off the edge guy. I think Derek Brown can become that. Texarkana kid. Uh, he got to gain some weight, so we'll see. Um, so you've got some pure pass rushers but you've got these bounce in between position group guys like I mean Justice Finkley is as ready built to play the game of football as any prospect at any position don't worry about the listed size he's anywhere between 6'2 and 6'4 don't worry about the listed weight he's anywhere from 250 to 275 but the way he carries it and moves at that size is a really big freaking deal uh, I think he can set the edge about as well or better than any prospect in the country because the edge is not just about pass rushing, but the physical strength, the quickness he plays with uh, is really something special to watch. And he's, he's the leader. He is the rally guy. He, he is the one who will get his guys going and probably get them lined up along the way. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan. If you can't tell of justice, frankly, that you talk about a big win coming into Bama, and getting a Birmingham kid that everybody wanted was, was really a massive early victory. And then it tells you the type of kid he is, never, ever wavered thereafter, despite five and seven, despite monkey gate or whatever else. You know, that kid never wavered on, on that Texas verbal commitment. And he is a special talent who I think can play inside down the line as a, as a sort of lighter interior pass rusher because he is a, a special hand technique and upper body strength type of, of rusher as opposed to the freaky bend speed off the edge types like like we mentioned with, with some of the other guys in this class uh so that the, the group has a little bit of everything i think tap is your conventional pass rusher who's ready to do that right now finkley can play that but he also has some position versatility to come down and play inside Derek brown's probably a little bit more developmental uh, between those things. And then you've got several guys who are ready to put, put their hand in the dirt uh, among the rest of this hall. Um, you know, uh, and Ethan Burke, as you mentioned, the, the big flip from, uh, from Michigan, I believe on signing day. So uh, like you said, uh, a lot of prospects and a lot of different, different types of skills. I really liked Aaron Bryant. I got my, my chance to, to spend three or four days watching him work at the Alabama Mississippi all-star week. 
he was in the backfield more than all the bigger guys. I mean, he's he's probably uh, six three and a half, three hundred pounds, two ninety five, but he works it well um, with, with with that one gap or two gap, I think, potential on the interior. So there's a little bit of everything in this defensive line hall, and and I think the interior guys could end up being the best ones if you're talking. Finkley, if he moves inside, I just mentioned Bryant, throw in a Jare Bledsoe, who's intriguing in his own right. I think the interior guys can be the best of this group, but you have enough different kind of edge players to complement them, led by, led by Tap. Yeah, and, and Christopher Ross is another one. He was, the, I believe, the Houston Touchdown Club Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, uh, Connor Weigman for AM won the Offensive Player of the Year, and he, he showed out in the state championship win. Uh, this past weekend so he's another really good one on there in, in there in the interior I mean they just they they hit everything they needed on the defensive line in this class and it was really impressive Zach Swanson another one uh, Brophy College Prep out of Arizona um, you know just this just so many guys that you know a lot of them that they'll be able to plug and play pretty instantly for for a defensive line that really I think was if we're being quite honest probably their second biggest weakness um, and if you're going to win in the SEC going forward you know, you, you can't have weaknesses along the offensive line or the defensive line. And I think they really hit both of those really well. Um, so, so we'll see what happens there. I, I mean, look, in, in that that group is not done either. Amari Abor is still on the board. Uh, he's been showing a lot of Texas love recently wearing, you know, the, the Texas gloves in the state championship game. So um, there, there's still some more that could happen there. And I think Texas has is, is really made a promising group out of those guys uh let's move this one's going to be brief because they only signed one guy and that's at linebacker Travell Johnson I I got a chance to watch him at the uh, Under Armour camp earlier this year Under Armour Dallas camp and I was pretty impressed um he's a very tough sort of violent type guy um and that's something that I think they needed which, which is a big get, but, th- but they also missed out on Kobe McKenzie, who when, when, that ha- when that flip happened originally, that was sort of a breath of fresh air for Texas. And while it's not the, the sort of sting, like you mentioned, that, that it would be if, if he had been committed for a long time or whatever, it still hurts because he flipped back to Oklahoma and you're going to have to see him on the other side of the field going forward. But um, instead of talking so much about Travell, because I don't know how much you've gotten a chance to watch him, if you, if you have, you know, please – please expand, but there's only one guy on the board for at linebacker for Texas, who, who is really the focus now going forward his name's Harold Perkins. And they really have a lot to catch up on in that race. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Texas, I mean, it's technically a three team race, right? LSU, A&M, the other two involved there for Harold, but look, I think we can all make the assumption. It's more of a Texas, Texas A&M battle. And, and depending on who you talk to, yeah, it could either be viewed as neck and neck or A&M's to lose. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, Perkins is a smart kid. Um, did he sign during the early period and just wait to announce? Or is he signing in February? I mean, that really could be the difference between picking Texas A&M versus picking Texas. The, the longer he waits, Longhorn fans, probably the better for you. But, yeah, Travell Johnson – longer lighter guy and I think that's true with a lot of these front seven gets for Texas and I like that the the days of 340 pounds on the defensive interior are are long gone I don't think any of those linemen we talked about are over 300 pounds maybe one right at there I I don't know if Bryant he doesn't look 300 pounds in person um I like that lighter longer leaner guys who can play in space. I mean, it's it's the name of the game, and it used to just be like the Big 12 and like the Mac, sprinkle in the Pac-12. Now it's everywhere. You've got to play in, in space. You've got to play a, a horizontal game, and, and Texas is building to, to assimilate towards that a little bit better. Uh, like we mentioned plenty on this pod during the season, that second level looked lost a lot, whether it was uh, fast flow, whether it was in pass coverage, there was plenty to be desired there. And I think, you know, this is at least a step in, in trying to change that. And obviously if you get Harold Perkins, you're talking about a big step in, in trying to change that. So uh, that's, that's the prevailing thought with a lot of these front seven guys. Texas needs to get faster on defense. I think even in the secondary, Texas needs to be more athletic defensively. 
to hold up in some of these shootouts, to hold up in those games where it is back and forth. Man, you just need one turnover. You need to make one play. It seemed like Texas was always just just short of, of that. So uh, getting leaner and faster on defense, I think, is, is a very good thing. Uh, and, and again, it's addressing team needs, which is really important in evaluating a, a strong uh, recruiting class. But there's no doubt that Texas fans should be keyed in on Harold Perkins because that could be quite the cherry on top if, if they could pull it off. Yeah, and look, we'll move on to the last position group now, and that's in the secondary. We're not going to go corner, safety, or whatever. We're just going to break them all down right now. Uh, Texas got five guys in this class. Uh, they have another one committed. We don't know what Ronald Lewis is going to do uh, in February, but Xavier Bryce, uh, he's he could play on either side of the ball, but the prevailing theory is that he's going to be a corner, uh, I believe. And then, uh, obviously, we talked about Terrence Brooks. And then we got Jalen Gilbo here, who is, um, you know, one of the more intriguing corner prospects, I think, in the class. And then at, at, at safety, you know, Austin Jordan and Brian Allen both come from big Texas programs. Both are guys who can, you know, probably make an impact early. I, I, I would expect Brian Allen would be the one of those two who, who would make that jump sooner, but that's just my personal opinion. Let, talk, t- t- tell us a little bit about the secondary and what you thought Texas did there because they had a some pretty substantial turnover towards the end there. You know, B.J. Foster, Chris Adamora, uh, both transferring out, yeah. Josh Thompson heading to the draft. So what were your thoughts on that? I, I kind of gave it away earlier. I think you got – leaner and faster with this DB hall. And that was really important in building for the future. I think, I mean, just looking at some of those guys you just mentioned, Texas had a huge secondary, big physical safeties. Uh, and, and that's great at times, but it can expose you at, at other times, again, especially as, as the game continues to progress. So get a little bit leaner, a little bit faster with some of these spots makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but there's, there's not, you're not sacrificing length along the way. It's length more than overall size. But as I mentioned with Brooks, I mean, he's ready to go right now. Uh, throw him in at the nickel spot. Uh, but he's got safety and corner potential, depending on how big he gets and how much he physically develops. He's already probably the biggest one brought in by UT at this point. Uh, Jordan's more of a classic safety, as you mentioned. Denton Ryan, we don't have to say. Too much about that program. We know what they've been able to produce. Uh, I think Jalen is more of an inside-out guy. I could see him as a traditional corner or potentially inside. That was a big get and, I believe, re-get. I think he decommitted at one point, so that was big. Uh, And then Brian Allen's just – if Brooks isn't the most ready to go, it's probably Brian Allen. Um, He's he's savvy. He's smart at the safety spot. You mentioned Alito High School. They've, They've produced as much as anybody. Um, and I like that. I like that throughout Texas's class. A lot of schools that you have, you can see and feel as soon as you see the name, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of know what I'm getting here. Uh, and then if, if Ronald Lewis does stick with Texas, champ, as he's known in New Orleans, another long, speedy cat who can play press corner uh, very comfortably. He's, uh, you know, he's. He's built that way, competitive kind of kid, which is what you want on the outside. But worst case scenario, if he's a little too over aggressive, he has the length and, and ball skills and range to play some, some free safety as well. So I do see some position versatility with this group, which is very important because you don't want, like you said, you don't want to come in talking corners and safeties. You're already <laughs> behind the eight ball there. It's like with offensive linemen. You don't come in saying, oh, this is a center. This is a guard. This is a left tackle. If you start doing that, I think you're talking about playing positions instead of playing your best athletes at different positions. And again, looking at the top of college football, which is where Texas wants to be, those athletes are brought in to play a position group, not a particular position. And and that's what you have to, again, that's what you build with great recruiting and depth of talent. So you can move guys around almost as needed. You can cross train them all those things and and be better prepared for the natural, uh, you know, bumps and bruises of the season, player attrition, uh, and and really the ability to simplify your scheme, which is in most cases what creates very good defense is because you've got a simple scheme and you've got great athletes who can execute it. So where it doesn't matter 
as much if the opponent kind of knows what you want to do because you've got the athletes to execute it better than they can combat. So I do like this haul. I do think it's a lighter, leaner, faster haul, which was really important, again, in addressing some of those team needs. But but Terrence Brooks is a superstar leading that group, and I expect him on the field right away. All in all, John, uh, you know, the fact that Sark was able to do this in his first year as the head coach, finished with the number four class, I think, and and, and despite the struggles on the field and all of the noise and and all of that stuff and the fans, you know, losing faith and all, all that stuff, the fact that he was able to close this kind of a class is absolutely incredible to me. Um, and the fact that there's still other guys on the board Abor, Campbell, Perkins, uh, and, and a couple more. You know, that this is something that I think Texas fans really need to take notice of. And yeah, they lost Stan Drayton to Temple, but they brought in Char Choice, who is a rising superstar in the industry. These are all things that Texas fans really need to be paying attention to. It wasn't, it, I, I've been saying all season long, even when they were four and one, you know up 28 to seven against Oklahoma. It doesn't matter what they do on the field in year one. What matters is how they recruit and build the roster to fit Sark and and Pete Kwiatkowski's needs. And they are doing exactly that. And they're doing it almost better than anybody in the country. Uh, You said, you know, they were right there with Georgia for number three. A&M's class took off. I don't know what's going on over there. They just, they're hitting on all cylinders and great congratulations to them. Alabama is always going to be Alabama, but if you're right there in that top five in year one, and you've got a class coming up next year that has the likes of Arch Manning and John Tay Cook and Ruben Owens and, you know, all those guys, this thing could get turned around very, very quickly. And, and, Really, the, the crux of that whole thing is is the trenches where they just absolutely killed it over these last few weeks and at the quarterback position where they got the number one transfer guy on the market and a guy who is competing to be the number one quarterback in the country for Sports Illustrated before he reclassified. Uh, Keg Klubnik had the edge there, but, you know, <laughs> Ewers was, was right, right there. So... I mean, let's face it, this is this is the kind of breath of fresh air that Texas fans needed and, and wanted. And I don't think that they could have really hoped for any better by the time the, the clock dropped on national signing or on early signing day. I'm with you, Matt. Yeah, we talked about addressing team needs throughout this pod, uh, but but even just in the quarterback room, if you could give me one guy ready to make a throw on a high low ball against a good secondary and a dropping linebacker from this class, it, it's going to be Quinn Ewers. And if you could give me a guy that I could say, he is a stash player for 18 months where he could really build and fulfill his potential and then you kind of unleash him, it would be Malik Murphy. So to get both in the same hall at that position where clearly things need to change, I, I thought was was really telling because – Quinn Ewers set the quarterback transfer market, period. And we all know the types of names in the portal at that position. I mean, these are some NFL guys in the portal at that position. And everybody was waiting on QB1's foot in the drop. Even Spencer Rattler, Keaton Slovis, Bo Nix, go down the list, right? Michael Penix. They were waiting on Quinn Ewers to make his move. And then everybody reset and said, okay. This is what we're doing, looking at quarterback going forward. So that alone was was the biggest singular recruiting win, but there's a lot of very good ones throughout this class. Flipping Brooks, persevering with Kelvin Banks, holding on to uh, a Jaden Blue and a Malik Murphy when it it could have – I mean, it wouldn't surprise many to see those guys flip, right? Jaden Blue has been on the sidelines. We don't even know what he may be. you could have seen a change there. So I, I thought all things considered, Texas, like you said, did about as good a job as they could have. And they're bringing in a better class right now than two of the four college football playoff teams, almost three of the four. 
a better class than Ohio State, uh, a better class than Oklahoma, a, a better class than just about everybody in the country. So how do you build? This is how you build. This is kind of step one in the first. You judge a coach by his first full cycle as a recruiter, and Sarkeesian still got it. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it, you know, the 2023 class has not really gotten off to a fast start yet, but you know, once this 2022 thing closes out, I, th- I think you'll start to see a lot of names start to fall in that arena. But for now, that's going to do it for this episode of the Longhorns Country po- Podcast. Uh, make sure to like, like, rate, and subscribe on all your favorite platforms. I'm kind of forgetting how to talk as I'm closing this thing out. And uh, make sure you tune in to longhornscountry.com where we bring you the latest news and notes on the Longhorns. And, John, tell them where they can find you. Real simple, si.com slash college, uh, free football recruiting info right there. Basketball, too, if you're into that thing. And, uh, yeah, so we'll, we might be back next week. The holidays will kind of play a, play a role in, in what we decide to do, but we will keep you updated on that, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yes, sir, we'll be back. Yes, sir. Bye. Bye. Bye.